Six months later, the war in Ukraine continues. And as global polarization between the U.S. and the European Union Western coalition, as well as the Russia-China-led combine grows, diplomats fight it out in Delhi. So the question, has the Modi government shifted India's stand in these six months at all? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This is episode 77. And this week, we are going to return to the subject we haven't covered for some time, the ongoing war in Ukraine. And it is six months, nearly 200 days, since Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered strikes on Ukraine, what the West calls an invasion, and he and the Russian government call a limited operation. We're going to look at what is the situation on the ground, and has the ground shifted in Indian diplomacy at all in this time? First, on the ground in the Ukraine. Today marks a sad and tragic milestone six months since Russia's 24th of February invasion of Ukraine. During this devastating period, thousands of civilians have been killed and injured, including hundreds of children, and countless others have lost their family members, friends, and loved ones. The world has seen grave violations of international human rights law and international humanitarian law committed with little to no accountability and millions of Ukrainians have lost their homes and their worldly possessions, becoming internally displaced or refugees. A few parameters for you. One, according to the UN Office of the High Commission of Refugees, at least 5,500 civilians have been killed and at least 8,000 injured. Now, these are conservative figures. They say themselves because it's still very unclear. On military casualties, even less clarity, really. Much harder to, uh, to estimate how many uh, civil soldiers have actually died. Ukrainian President Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky, and his advisors have said that between 100 to 200 Ukrainian soldiers are killed every day in the war. Uh, that took the count to 10,000 dead by June, and that estimates that the total count is about double that by September. Russia's own official count of its soldiers killed is 1,351. It's a far, far smaller figure than every other estimate. The figure that they had put out in March, they haven't updated yet. NATO estimates say it's more than 10 times that. Ukraine has actually put the figure at about 43,000. So somewhere in the middle of all those numbers, it lies the truth, but it is very hard at this point while the war continues to really look at casualties. The UN High Commission of Refugees says that by now, 7 million Ukrainian refugees have been recorded in various European countries. Another 6.6 .6 million are internally displaced in Ukraine and about 13 million civilians are stranded in areas affected by the war and by daily violence. Then, in terms of territory, Russia now occupies or controls about 20% of Ukrainian territory, but it is facing a fight or what is called a counteroffensive from Ukrainian forces in many parts, including Kherson, that we are following right now. Of course, the Ukrainian army has been bolstered by weapons from the best, by support from the West as well. However, if the original Putin plan was to wrap up the war in a few weeks, the fighting in Ukraine has already gone well beyond that. And the outcome of this is still unclear at present. Then there is the United Nations. Despite a number of UN resolutions, US and EU sanctions as well, the war has not abated. Russia continues to carry on. And it is now leading to more and more consequences outside the Ukraine with food and energy shortages inflation hitting many countries, including, of course, India, something the government has spoken about. In all of this, as this was continuing, some suggested that India's position on Ukraine 
where it has not yet criticized Russian actions, may actually have undergone a change. Uh, they pointed in particular to a few indicators that happened in the last week or so. So I'll take you through some of the reasons why this buzz came about that India may have changed its position. The first, that India voted against Russia at the UN Security Council on August the 24th. It was a procedural vote on whether to allow Ukrainian President Zelensky to address the council by video rather than in person. Russia, of course, opposed this proposal. China actually abstained. But this was the first time India has voted in this way, not abstaining, not going along with Russia, but actually on the other side with the West. Second, India also announced 12th consignment of aid uh, that had reached Ukraine this week and an urge for more room for diplomacy to end the war. During that same UNSC discussion, this uh, announcement was made. India's approach will be to promote dialogue and diplomacy with an overarching aim to end the conflict and work with other partners to mitigate the economic challenges emerging from the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Third, the Ministry of External Affairs allowed a war of words to break out between diplomats based in Delhi. And I use the word allowed because, of course, the MEA could call them in and say, don't use Indian soil to slag off on third countries who also have friendly relations with India. But we saw the German and the Polish ambassadors hold press conferences in Delhi. We saw an interview by the Russian ambassador, as well as criticism on social media from the Chinese ambassador as well. So a lot of this diplomatic war of words being played out in India. Fourth, India hosted a senior US Treasury officials on, on a visit to Mumbai and Delhi, where he specifically discussed what is called the coalition to put a price cap on Russian oil. This is a coalition the US wants to join. India stands so far a bit unclear. They're looking for more consensus. And then next week, New Delhi will host a Quad officials meeting uh, with senior officials from the US, Australia and Japan to discuss Indo-Pacific initiatives. Remember, India is the only member of the Quad not to join the sanctions against Russia. And while the focus of the meetings will clearly be on Indo-Pacific, on China, developments in Taiwan, this will also be the first such meeting held in Delhi since the war in Ukraine began. And it's quite likely that we will see comments from the other participants on Russia during their visit to Delhi and on the agenda. So do these indicators that I've pointed out, these five indicators just recently, actually mark an inflection point or are they just more evidence on how India continues its diplomatic balance, but it doesn't actually change its position on Russia? So let's just take a look at why this isn't that inflection point people are point is talking about. One, on the UNSC vote, for example, even though it was welcomed by the US and Germany as a real shift, German envoy called it progress for India, the MEA has explained at some length that this was only a procedural vote, not a precedent, and that Mr. Zelensky had addressed the UN Security Council via video in the past as well, so India saw no reason to oppose this. The second, that India's aid to Ukraine, which was preceded by a call between External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar and Ukrainian Foreign Minister Kuleba. The fact is that these links between India and Ukraine have been few and far between, compared perhaps with Mr. Jay Shankar's meetings and calls with his Russian counterpart, Lavrov. The National Security Advisor, Ajit Doval, also visited Moscow recently, and so have other ministers of the government. But no government minister has actually traveled to Ukraine since the war. And that is telling. Finally, Prime Minister Modi himself has spoken to Russian President Putin on a number of occasions, but he has not spoken to President Zelensky since the evacuation of Indian students 
in early March was completed, leading even the foreign minister Kuleva to say in a press conference and in response to an answer to a question from the Hindu to say that he was disappointed about the lack of support from India. Third, India's stand on the sanctions themselves hasn't changed a bit. India doesn't follow sanctions on oil, it doesn't follow uh, the, the Western sanctions on defense purchases from Russia, and it also uh, doesn't follow the sanctions against using uh, other currencies in order to subvert sanctions. So the rupee-ruble payment mechanisms are still used. India's oil imports from Russia actually tell their own story. From being a minor buyer of Russian oil, India is now the second biggest buyer along with China. Russia is now India's second biggest supplier of oil, makes up about 18.8% 18 actually of India's purchases of oil, which is a far cry from the 1-2% to 2 Mr. Jai Shankar had spoken of in February. Finally, Russian Rosneft-owned Naira Energy's refinery in Vardinar in Gujarat is actually one of the two biggest importers of oil and is selling its refined products worldwide, which really is leading to the suspicion that much of this oil that is coming into India is actually being used to refine products and export them, part of Rosneft's own uh, customer servicing. And of course, India retains $16 billion in investments in Rosneft and in Russian oil fields. As a result, India-Russia trade volume in these six months alone have surpassed all of last year. According to Russian Ambassador Denis Alipov, who said that the volume of trade in national currencies amounts to over 40% of the entire trade between Russia and India, which is clearly growing from the $11 billion around every year. Now, to the optics as well, this month, Prime Minister Narendra Modi is expected to travel to Uzbekistan for the SCO Summit, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit. And in terms of the photo ops, he's going to be there at the same time as Russian President Putin, possibly Chinese President Xi Jinping, also leaders of Central Asia, of Pakistan, of Iran, Belarus even. India clearly is standing up and being counted. Prime Minister Modi is also allowing himself to be counted in the presence of an entire list of leaders that the West has a problem with. The fifth, India's stand at the United Nations in terms of criticizing Russia's actions just hasn't changed. Despite many countries making the case even recently, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is actually, according to them, akin to China's land grab at the line of actual control and in uh, aggressions in the South China Sea. And so India should be equally concerned, but India has not, if you like, bitten that bait. Sixth, uh, neither has India changed militarily, except to accommodate Russia's delivery delays due to the war in Ukraine. Moreover, this week, the Indian army actually took part in the Vostok military exercises held in Russia. About 50,000 soldiers in all from many countries, including China, this was a move that the U.S. protested, but the MEA has defended it. And of course, the MEA has said that it has taken part in such multilateral exercises in Russia in the past as well. This wasn't something new. So the question keeps coming up about why India continues to stand by Russia. I would refer you to a previous episode of Worldview in April this year, where we looked at 10 reasons why India won't budge on its position on Russia. In short, India's position on the war in Ukraine, six months on, has not changed materially. And although the government says it is committed to being neutral and non-aligned, while it calls for diplomacy between both, New Delhi-Moscow relations remain strong. And by charting this particular course, and given the growing commitment also to the West in the Indo-Pacific, India is possibly essaying a new chapter 
in multi-alignment. There'll be a lot more written about India's position maybe in the future. For the moment, let's get you some reading recommendations on books worth reading right now on the issue. And of course, my normal disclaimer that these books are published in the West, primarily Western authors. So watch for balance and more reading, of course, is required to really get a 360 degree view. So let's get right to the books. To begin with books on the Russian invasion, and they're already out now, six months later, there's Invasion, the inside story of Russia's bloody war and Ukraine's fight for survival by Luke Harding. He's a journalist, he's covered many conflicts, he's covered India as well. And this book is just about to come out, I think, next month. There's also another book called Overreach, the inside story of Putin and Russia's war against Ukraine by Owen Matthews. He's a very famous author. He's written some nonfiction. He's written books like Stalin's Children, An Impeccable Spy. He's also written some fiction books, some thrillers that you might enjoy on the KGB. Then there is a book on Putin himself called Putin by Philip Short. It's very well reviewed. It is a book with real balance, deep research into Putin's background and very, very informative. Then there is the Russia conundrum, how the West fell for Putin's power gambit and how to fix it. This is by an opposition activist, a rival to Mr. Putin called Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who was a businessman as well as an opposition leader. His book is coming out in October as well. Then there's Putin's World, Russia Against the West and With the Rest by Angela Stern. Uh, this is something I've recommended in the past, well worth reading, particularly on multipolarity. The book that you might find interesting is called Arsenal of Autocracy, Russia and China's Military Strategy in a Multipolar World. This is written by a German-based academic called Alexandra Burilko. And it really looks at Russia and China, although, of course, Arsenal of Autocracy could define many groupings. After Empire, The Birth of the Multipolar World by Dilip Hero is, of course, a classic when it comes to uh, multipolarity and a must-read. It's not new, however. Then there are a whole bunch of books about the Russian oil relationship, really. To begin with, a historical perspective called A Pipeline Runs Through It, the story of oil from ancient times to the First World War by Keith Fisher. It includes some real historic con context as well on the pipelines over there since Peter the Great, in fact. Another book called Ukraine and Russia from Civilized Divorce to Uncivil War by Paul Danieri. Again, I have recommended this in the past. It remains very relevant. And then more specifically, there's the war in Ukraine's Donbass, origins, context, and the future. This is by a Canadian scholar called David Marples. So a lot to think about and a lot to read if you do have the time. But do join us again here on Worldview from the team. Thanks for watching.